Hey, can we just give a shout out to for the tech team? Are they not doing an awesome job back there? Ryan and May and April working behind the scenes tonight. It's a lot of work, right? The, all the different lighting changes and the sound. And, and how about having the praise team up on the, on the over here? Yeah, isn't that great? There was a few moments tonight where Chris stepped back from the right. You could just hear all the other supporting voices on the platform, platform just filling the house. It sounded so good. So just want to give a shout out to them. Well, where we are giving you a glimpse tonight into the series that we're going to be working through together over the next five weeks. It's really going to be over the next six weeks, but Mother's Day has dropped in there. And, uh, and so it's really, it's five of the next six weeks. So the, but the welcome weekend, usually for us, we have a, a specific message that we do. It's called His House. And, and we, we go into some detail about who we are as a church, what we do about how we do discipleship, some different focuses that we have. And, uh, and just in praying about this night, we really felt like we were going to do something a little bit different tonight, that we were supposed to give a glimpse of the series that's coming up. And then through that glimpse, you're going to learn a lot about who we are. But we still want you to have access to that message called His House. And so at the end of the service, if you're newer to the church and you've got some questions just about who we are, if you go to the Welcome Center, there's a sign-up sheet there and we're going to send you a jump drive or a thumb drive. If, if, if you're of the generation and you think I'm talking about an automobile, then you just go out there anyways and sign up. We'll send a teenager along with the thumb drive and they'll show you how to use it. But there's a sermon on there called His House that we want you to put some time in to listen to. And then it's a cool little City Life Church gift uh, logo to jump drive that you get. And uh, you can't have too many of those. So we hope that at the end of the service you'll go in and sign up and you'll get one of those. So we've entitled this sermon series Next because the things that we're going to talk about in this series, no matter what the emphasis might be, no matter what season we're in, no matter what the conversation is that we're having as a church, these five things that we're talking about aren't going to be far behind because these five things that we're talking about help define who we are as a church as you're going to see when we get there three of them are of the 12 there are three of the 12 pathways we talk about if you're not familiar with the term pathway then you need to sign up at the welcome center and get that message called his house we talk about that so it's three of the 12 pathways that we teach one that I'm going to introduce you to tonight is a core doctrine for us and then we're going to bring it home with a cultural distinctive for us at the city life church and so each week again over the next six weeks except for for Mother's Day is going to be a sermon that's devoted entirely to one of those. Does that make sense? You're tracking with me? And then I'm just going to give you a, a little insight uh, in, into that uh, tonight, into each of those five. So we like participation here at the City Life Church, but before we do that, you're going to notice that all of the images in our, in our keynote tonight, in our, in our presentation, the media that supports the message, is, are all going to be City Life Church people from Williamsburg and Newport News. So I've gone on to the City Life Church Facebook page for Williamsburg and Newport news this week and have just been pulling down photos so but I've used all the ones that are out there that, that I can use right so what we want to do over the next six weeks if you have a picture that you want me to use of you right this is called self-promotion at the City Life Church right you post that picture onto the City Life Church Facebook page and throw in the hashtag pick me all right you throw in the hashtag pick me and then I'm going to be working those in every week. You with me? You should be, right? We, we are bold people here at the City Life Church. So you should, little self-promotion goes, and you can pretend like somebody else did it for you, right? You can do that. You can send it, you, you, can, you can find a buddy and you can send it to each other, right? And then you can send a picture of your friend so it looks like you're not promoting yourself. So put a hashtag on there. Pick me, the, the, the Newport News page or the Williamsburg page, and, and then I'm going to work those in all throughout this sermon series that we do together. All right, so a little participation moment. So what are some things about your family that define 
find you, right? So, so if I were to hang out with your family, if we were to go on vacation with your family, right? If, if we were to spend a, a weekend with your family, what would be some things about your family that I would learn or somebody else would learn that really makes you who you are? Like just while you're thinking, I'll give you one for me. Our whole family, we talk about food while we're eating it, right? Our kids do it. Right, Vanessa and I do it. We're foodies, right? So, I mean, all three of our kids, when we're, when people ask if we have conversations at the dinner table, we do. We talk about the food that we're eating, all the different flavors that are in there. It's very interesting. So people that aren't used to that go, well, you guys, you guys are entertaining when you eat, right? There's like a play-by-play commentary, right? So that's a little, that makes, that's part of what makes us who we are. Somebody else, what's something about you, about your family? Steve, you speak in movie lines, right? Quotations from movies. Not anybody else like that? It's bantering, especially, I know when your family gets together. Somebody else. I know some of you are already nervous that I'm out here. I know. That's why we've got all these aisles. They're not for you. They're for me. Alan. Constant motion, especially with a small child in the house. Brentley, right? He's always moving. He gets that from his father because Alan's always on the move too. Matt. Song titles, right. So communicating through quotes from lyrics or song titles or bands. KG, are you offering me a sip or you have something to share? No, I'm good. Um, we only drink exclusively coffee and water in our house. Exclusively coffee and water. That's right. In the house. I know. Anybody else? Big coffee drinkers? Nice. I know. J. Clyde Morris Boulevard, Starbucks right here. Barista extraordinaire. Early morning, though, if you're going to catch him on his shift. Yeah, all right. We compete. Everything's a competition, right? Yeah, I know. Games, right? I, it was like that I me mean, growing up. My dad always made us cry whenever we played Monopoly. He bankrupt us. Or croquet. Anybody else growing up playing croquet? My, you hit the other person's ball, right? He would always say, we would say, Dad, don't do it. Yeah, all the way into the woods. I know. That was, it was brutal. Yes. Serious pranks. I like this guy on the front row. Serious pranks. Yeah, I know. You guys are doing good. Right? But when you come into a church, you're asking that question, right? You're asking the question, who are these people? What are they about? What do they believe? And we, if you've got some questions like that, we hope you join us at Plaza tonight. And you're going to have an opportunity to ask some of those questions. But before we get into the message, I just want to give you two that really define us as a church that are our two biggest ones. One is our message. We have a message that we be, believe that God has given us that we're supposed to bring to our region. And the message is heaven now, heaven forever. The, the first H you see is lowercase and the second one is capitalized. That's intentional because what we're saying is when you make a vow of devotion to Christ, that heaven is promised to you. We teach on that here at City Life. Sometimes it becomes a focus of a series. We did a series on heaven not too long ago. That When you make a vow of devotion to Christ, there's a heaven that is promised to you. And if you've been around church for any amount of time, you're, that's not new for you. But what we feel like God is also saying is, hey, you don't have to wait to that heaven to experience heaven. There's a heaven now. It doesn't mean that your life is without problems. As Vanessa said in the wrap-up, it doesn't mean that God's got some magic wand that he waves, it makes all your problems go away. He just walks through those things with us. And that if you're walking with Christ, you don't need the church to get to heaven, but I'm telling you, you need community to bring heaven on earth. The relationships that are waiting for you in this room, all the pathways that we talk about, the 1, the 6, the 12, and the 24, if you don't know what those numbers mean, you need to get that jump drive. Heaven now, heaven forever. Psalm 27, 13 is a life verse for us. I would have lost heart if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord 
in the land of the living. So we also have a mission, and that mission is really summed up in three words that represent three different groups of people that we feel called that we're supposed to reach. Liberty, community, and maturity. The three groups of people that we focus on as a congregation are the undevoted, the disconnected, and the discipled. We want to be a church that no matter where you fall into that category, and everybody falls into one of those three, we, you should feel like the church is just for you. Right? That, that a lot of churches focus on the undevoted. We want to be a church that reaches people that have never made a vow of devotion to Christ. We want them to know the promise and to have the hope that liberty that they can experience on the inside when they begin to walk with Christ. We want to reach the disconnected. This is the group of people. Maybe some of you are coming out of that. Maybe you've been in a church before and you've been hurt. You've been disappointed. Maybe you felt betrayed by a spiritual leader and you've just kind of taken a break from spiritual community because you said, I don't want to put my heart out there again. And so maybe you're coming back and you're saying, I just, my life is incomplete without it. And we say, come on, good for you for coming back and giving it a try. And we want to be a church that helps people rediscover the heaven on earth that community brings. We want people who are disconnected to know the promise and have the hope of community. But this third group is so often left out for churches. Sometimes churches are so focused on the undevoted and the disconnected that people that are walking with Christ, they just feel like that, 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 that nothing's there for them. We want to be a church that challenge, if you've been walking with Christ for 10 years and you're ready for the next great challenge, we want to be a church that challenges you to move forward. We want to be a church where you hear a message that you're not free to retire in your spiritual discipleship, that there's always something more, there's something deeper, and we're going to be a church that challenges you to be intentional about the change and the maturity that's supposed to come to your life. Luke 15 is an important chapter for me. It's the three lost parables, right? There's the, there's the lost sheep, there's the lost coin, and there's the lost son. And for so many people, they only think of these parables teaching about reaching the undevoted, but these parables teach about all three of these, right? Just point out, right, that sheep used to be a part of the fold. That coin used to belong to its owner, and the son used to be in the house. And let's not forget the disciple. There's a huge part of that last part, that parable, the parable of the prodigal son, the brother who stayed at home is a powerful picture of the disciple that needs to mature. He's in the house. He's part of the family. But there's some things in his heart, some attitudes that are ugly. How many people, you've got some ugly, th- I've got ugly things in my heart. You've got ugly things in your heart. And we maybe we're not lost and maybe we're not disconnected, but there's another place that we need to go to to grow in our discipleship. And we want to be a community that helps you get there. It's our message. It's our mission. All right, Matthew 13, 52. The the whole sermon on that jump drive, his house, is based out of this one verse. It says, "Then then he added, speaking of Jesus, every teacher of religious law who becomes a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a homeowner who brings from his storeroom new gems of truth as well as old. Now, Pastor Jamie did our last welcome weekend that he had, and, and, and you can go onto our website and get that podcast, but he did a great job sharing some insights, connecting this text to Leviticus 26.10. I'm not going to read that. I'm just throwing that in for our note takers and how this was a, a prophetic continuation of a promise that God spoke over his people about material prosperity. But we, we, there's another layer of truth to this text that we believe every church needs to understand the difference between new and old treasures. 
right? Every church needs to have old treasures. And the five that I'm going to introduce you to tonight, these are old treasures for us. Meaning that five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, these five treasures that I'm going to talk to you tonight, they're always going to be a part of our church. But a church, in order for it to be healthy, in order for it to be relevant, in order for it to reach its community, it's got to understand that there's also new treasures. We're passionate about the kind of songs that we sing, that we worship. We're going to talk about worship tonight. But we say all the time, if we're doing those same songs five years from now, something's gone terribly wrong for us as a church. You with me? It's a treasure for us, but it's a new treasure in the sense that it's not ever going to become an old treasure. Not every new treasure is supposed to become an old treasure, and that's how you see churches get sidelined. They become irrelevant, and so we like to talk about that as a church. So the five I'm going to give you tonight, these are five old treasures for us at the City Life Church. All right, here they are. Rest, Worship and generosity. Those are three of our 12 pathways. A lot of people think of them as spiritual disciplines. We call them pathways because they take us somewhere. I'm going to talk a little bit about spiritual language tonight. That's a core doctrine for us. There's just lots of not good teaching about spiritual language in the world today. And so we feel like God's really asked us as a church to kind of bring some clarity to that. And then I'm going to wrap up talking about unity, which is a cultural distinctive for us. So again, we've got three pathways. We've got one core doctrine. And then we've got a cultural distinctive. And this is what I want to challenge you over these next six weeks, that over these next six weeks, that if you call this your church home, that you're going to double down at least one weekend over the next six weeks. That you're going to come on Saturday night, and then you're also going to show up on Sunday morning. You with me? Some of you have never been, never been to the Williamsburg campus. And I'm going to do the same thing tomorrow morning. There's people at the Williamsburg campus that have never been to the Newport News campus. We're one church that's meeting in two locations, and that you need to get a taste and, and have some exposure to other people that are part of our church family. It doesn't have to be something that you do all the time, but every now and again, we're just going to challenge you. So over the next six weeks, all right, and so the weekend that you pick, you don't take the weekend off before and the weekend after, right? As if you've got to say, whoa, I'm going to church twice next week and I'm not going this weekend. That's going to be too much for me, right? And then coming out of it, you're going to go, whoo, I'm still just getting over it. I'm a little bit church sore, right? Like you have to go to the gym. You're a little bit sore. You've been to too many church services, all right? So I'm not, I'm not done yet. I'm, going, I'm not stopping there. And I'm also going to ask you that whatever church you go to consistently, that just for this series, Pastor Jamie's going to do a completely different series. We're developing a teaching team. as we, We're going to launch more campuses as a, as a church. We're going to develop a teaching team that works their way through. And we're not always going to do the same series. He's going to do a verse-by-verse -verse teaching out of the beginning of the book of Acts. It's going to be fantastic. So if you come here, that you're going to listen to the podcast during the week of the one from Williamsburg. Does that make sense? So over the next six weeks, over the next six weeks, you're going to pick one weekend where you double down. It's like ice cream. Two scoops are better than one, right? You're going to double down, two scoops, and then whatever service you're going to, you're going to listen to the podcast of the other service. All right. You, you with me? Right? You're nodding your head because you're going you're, 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 you're to participate, right? All right. All right. Come on. Because I'm going to be looking for you because I'm going to be there. Okay. I know that's a great picture, isn't it? This is going to be a fun series just because of all the pictures that are going to be popping up. On the screen, there's Nate Nawatney, one of our elders, bringing it. This was a, a Harvest Fest weekend. I forget. I think they were they were dressed as uh, '80s rock bands or something like that. Oh, things to sit. All right, he's dressed up. We're gonna make your soul sweat. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Every church needs to be clear about who they are and what they believe God has called them to do. If you're around a church for any amount of time, you should be able to figure those things out about who they are. Based on your interactions with the people that call it their church home, based on the sermons, based on the things that they're focused in, we want to be a church that, that brings great clarity to you to understand who we are 
and what we are about, which is one of the reasons why we're doing these welcome weekends all throughout the year. And so as I was, as I was praying about this message tonight, my, my heart kind of went to 1 Corinthians 14.8. Now that text is specifically about spiritual language, and we'll get to that when we get to that sermon in this series. But the Apostle Paul teaches a principle in this text about clarity. A, a synonym for that is clarion. And, and he talks about a church. there should be a sense of clarity about church. And the church of Corinth, they had gotten a little bit out of order, and like churches, some churches today. So again, we're going to teach and talk about that in this series. But there's a transcendent principle that a healthy church, that, 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 a, that, a, that a church that's, that's, that's really postured to reach its community, there's just a sense of clarity they have about the mission and the message that God has given to them. And there's a sense of clarity in the church itself because they understand the mission and the message. Does that make sense? And so it got me thinking about when I was in high school again, right? I showed you some of those great pictures of me, my senior prom for Easter weekend. If you weren't here, see, that's what happens when you miss church. So those have come and gone. So, so, but, but it got me thinking about when I was in high school, when I was in high school, every, it was all about your car stereo. Right? Anybody else? It doesn't. It seems like that's a little bit today, but not like it was when I was in high school. I went to high school in the early '80s, and you didn't get your stereo system from an auto parts store. What's up with that, right? You you go into auto parts store now. There's stereo equipment all in those. They didn't have Best Buy when I was coming along. They had a store called Circuit City, right? And come on, I know. Bring it, I know. And they had what they called Midnight Madness Sale. Right? Anybody, you're dating yourself? Anybody been to midnight? I know, come on, there's Paul back there, right? You would go, they open the doors at midnight. When you go to Best Buy now, they've got home theater rooms. When I was in school, they had car stereo rooms. It was all about your car stereo, right? So the midnight madness sale, they would have all these stereo equipment that was slashed down. And I remember walking in, there was a, a, a stereo, I don't even know if they still make car radios. It was, for me, it was a tape deck back then. Yeah, I know. We'll, we'll, they'll talk about what that is. We'll bring them up to speed, the young people, next week, right? Clarion made high-end tape decks for cars, right? And I remember going there with my dad at a Midnight Madness sale, and I got my first Clarion tape deck, first Clarion tape deck. We got an equalizer, an amplifier, and I had, listen, three-way speakers installed in the back of my car. I know, I know, it's crazy, isn't it? Crazy, crazy. And so you can picture last week's image of me with the mullet, right? My dad had a 1971 Monte Carlo, a light cream colored Kregers for the rims, four speed in the floor, had this 400 monster engine all chromed up. It was a gorgeous car. And on Friday nights, we would go cruising down Broad Street in Richmond for hours, just up and down the road, up and down the road. Yep, you can just picture it. You can picture I had hair, right? And, and, then, and then when you're cruising, you had different tapes for different settings and different scenarios, right? I can't talk about all those tapes because my kids are in here. But, but we had some tapes, right? And, I, and I, for me, I had a cruising tape. Some of you are laughing, but you know what I'm talking about, right? I had a cruising tape, and it was Rush with Getty Lee. I know. My stock is going way up tonight, right? People are going to join the church just because of that. And I... Let's, if everybody could be quiet, I think you can hear it. Wait a minute. Shh. My hair's blowing in the wind. You see it? All right. I know. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Some of you are downloading that song right now, right? Got to get that. Some of you are going to see you riding around Newport News tonight, jamming out to Rush, right? People go, who are those people? 
Just make sure you take the City Life sticker off your car before you do that. All right. All right, so we're, we're, this is just a little introduction. So we're going to kind of move through these tonight. But again, there's five. The first one I want to talk about rest. We, I believe this is one of the greatest sins of the modern day church, that it fractures the family that it's supposed to build. And we take that seriously as a church. And so we teach about rest. We're going to be talking about rest. We believe that there is a physical rest that you're supposed to allow yourself to have in, in this journey, in this life. Call Bart who's a modern-day theologian. He leans a little bit more to Reformed theology than me, but that's part, I hope that you read people who believe things that are different from you, right? That's part of my own discipline. As a, as a person who studies the Bible, I like to read different people from different streams. And so he has this great quote about a Sabbath day. He said, let things take their course with particular freedom, distinct from weekday practices to as much or as little as the day brings. The day should be free from compulsion. When's the last time you had a day like that. You should be having one of those days every single week. Once out of every seven days, there should be a day that describes that for you. We're going to be talking about that in that sermon. There are four different kinds of rest that the Bible teaches us. We're going to be working through these together. At the end of Hebrews 3 and the beginning of Hebrews 4, the writer of Hebrews teaches us about paternal rest. This is the rest that comes to the soul that, that you have when you've been reconciled to him. When you make a vow of devotion to Christ, the restoration of relationship with your creator, it gives you a sense of peace. It gives you a sense of rest. It's, it's like you might have a friend or a family member when you're kind of in conflict, right, there's just an unsettledness about you. And then when that's restored and reconciled, there's a peace that returns. And the same thing happens with us and our Heavenly Father. There's a purpose rest. There's a rest that you step into when you begin to walk in the revelation of the reason why you're here. We preached and talked on that last weekend for our Easter service. How are you going to be found when Jesus comes back? There's a purpose that God has for you, that he birthed in his heart over you from the foundations of the earth. There's a rest that comes when you walk in your purpose. There's a perpetual rest. There's a rest that you have from knowing what waits for you after you die. When you breathe your last, like all of us are, when you know, when you have a sense of certainty and a sense of confidence for what's going to happen after that moment comes for you, that there is a rest. We call it a perpetual rest. And then the focus of the message when we get there is going to be about physical rest, the practice of a weekly Sabbath, that we want to be a church that helps you get there. I'm going to teach you five practical steps that you can take to begin to work. If you don't do a weekly Sabbath, it might be hard for you to begin to reorder your life. So we're going to give you eight practical steps that you can do. I'm not going to read all of this tonight, but we're going to dig into these three words. You know, we, we like to dig into the language of the Bible here at the City Life Church. And when you dig into the language of the Bible, there's truth that just comes flying out. When I was growing up, you know, that one of the big practical jokes that, that you did, right, it was kind of old school, was the can with the slinky snake that's all packed in and you open it, right? Do they people do that anymore? They don't even do that anymore, right? We should do that as a giveaway, here at the City Life Church, right? Because people will be unsuspecting. Oh, we like that. Okay, that's good. My partner right here, he's going to help me with that because he likes practical jokes, right? So, but, but, but words are like that in the Bible, right? You open up those words, there's just truth that just comes out. And so we're going to dig. In the Hebrew, it's Shabbat, it's Kadash, and it's Nuach. And we're going to talk about what those three words mean. And when you begin to understand those three words, it helps you begin to understand the nature of this day that God wants you to have once a week in your life. Let's talk about worship. Like Jack's here on the far right, right? He's rolling with all the ladies there. That, uh, I know. All right. Hashtag playa, right? Is that right? All right, all right, all right, okay. 
I read that somewhere on Kevin, Kevin Garcia's Instagram feed. I don't even know what that means. I don't know what that means. All right, all right. <laughs> uh, let, let me just share this with you. When I have a revelation of the glory of God and a heart that longs to be loved by God, how can I not praise him? Right? When I have a revelation of the glory of God and a heart that longs to be loved by God, how, how can I not praise him? So when we get into this message, we, we're going to challenge you to, to really self-reflect and say, what's my revelation of the glory of God and how's my heart? Is there something inside of me that really longs and hungers for the affection of the creator of the universe? When, when you have an opportunity to step into worship experiences like we stepped in together tonight, the expression on your face should never cause someone to feel that you're disinterested. If it is, then we're going to press you in this message that there's a deeper revelation of the glory of God that you need to find. And there's a place that your heart isn't there yet, but we want to help you get it there where you're just hungering and thirsting for the affection of your Father. And when you have that kind of revelation, and when your heart gets to that place, I'm telling you that you cannot be contained in your worship. Now, your personality is going to dictate maybe how far you go in the journey of expression. We're going to talk about that in the sermon. But everybody, no matter what your personality type, should cross the threshold of expressiveness, right? If the world hasn't seen your pits, then you've not worshipped, right? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Psalm 42, 1 through 2. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God. The living God. Now, this is one of those moments in a text where you're expecting one word and, and we're given another. I always expected to say where here, right? I had to double check it again tonight. Is that a typo, right? I expect the flow of the text seems to say, where can I go to stand before him? But the psalmist understands that where is never a question that you ask when it comes to worship because wherever you go, God's been waiting for you to get there. The question is, when are you going to go? When are you going to let your heart? It's not talking about going somewhere geographically. It's saying going somewhere on the inside. When are you going to let yourself go to the place of just getting lost in a place of celebrating the glory of God and drinking deep from the cup of the love that he has for you? Every time we step into a place of worship, Revelation 4, 4 through 11 is not far from me. I'm not going to read that again tonight. We're going to dig into that text when we get into that sermon. If you need some help getting a revelation of the glory of God, it's one, when I'm worshiping, I picture, I picture Revelation 4 through 11. I've memorized some of those verses. Sometimes I'm just singing those things to myself to remind me that what we see here is nothing of what reality truly is. That there is a spiritual realm that we are connected to and a part of in that realm that we're going to be a part of part of eternally. We, we want to be a church that when you get to heaven, you're not surprised by what you find there because you've learned a little bit about it here. You with me? All right. We're going to talk about this is expressive worship. You've got to be willing to be seen. You've got to be, be conspicuous, be tenacious and present. Seen, conspicuous, tenacious and present. These are, these are four biblical principles that are an expression of Davidic worship. We, 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 so many times we use the term contemporary worship, right? That, that people will ask that question. I think King David in the heavens, right? He doesn't like that term. Because what he's saying is, hey, what you're doing, it's not, it's not new. Right? You, you think that you're something because you dance in church? I started that, King David says, right? I set that trend into motion, right? The, the kind of worship we do, there's nothing contemporary about it. It is as ancient as you can find. 
It's from the beginning. Read the book of Psalm. There's dancing and celebration and instruments. Yeah, they looked a little different. The songs that they were singing were a little different. Those were new treasures for them and they're new treasures for us. But the old treasure is being willing to cross the threshold of expressiveness. The old treasure is having a revelation of the glory of God. The old treasure is having a heart that hungers for the affection of the Father. And we're going to teach and talk about that when we get to that sermon. Generosity. Is that not a great picture of David Godwin? I know. Hashtag swag. Yeah, I know. All right. All those pictures are from last year's poker night. So I'm advertising that a little bit, right? So that was their Ocean's Eleven pose. They were all walking. And I know. They were, they were looking good, looking good. So gener- let's talk a little bit about generosity. Now, if you're visiting with us today and you're thinking, right, we knew it was coming. Could we just say as a church, we do not want your money. Can I just say that to you? We don't teach about generosity because we want your money. We teach about generosity because we want you to walk in the fullness of the favor of God, right? We, we teach about money because Jesus talked about money. We talk about money because the, if you don't like the conversation of money being in the church, then you take that up with God because he's the one that put it in this book. Our, our commitment is to talk about what's in here. Jesus talked about money more than he did faith, prayer, evangelism, because he understood that our heart is so connected to materialism. And there's got to be a generation, uh, a generosity conversation that happens in every generation generation in the church. So we're going to talk about it in this series. Our providential material prosperity is irrevocably tethered to our predestined spiritual community. That's a mouthful. Our providential material prosperity is irrevocably tethered to our predestined spiritual community. To forsake the latter is to forfeit the former. Now that's a big statement. We're going to give a whole sermon to break that statement apart. We're going to give a whole message to understand these. What's my providential material prosperity? We're going to talk about that. What's a predestined spiritual community? We're going to talk about that. Have you forsaken? Have you forfeited? Is it possible that you're not experiencing the favor of God because you're walking outside the obedience of his word? We're just going to tell you what the Bible says, but you've got to make a decision to walk in it. There is an influence that you and I will never have until we are ready to give at the level the Bible demands. And in that sermon, I'm going to give you six money promises that you should be willing to make. I'm going to teach you six promises. I've made them. Our family has made them in our hearts. So we're going to give you six. Whether you choose to make them or not, that's up to you. Six money promises that you find in the Bible. And I'm going to, walk, I'm going to give you, teach you five tests of stewardship. The Bible talks about living a life as a steward. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. You find that phrase repeated all throughout Scripture. We're supposed to live with the mindset and the attitude that everything that I have belongs to God. And we should be having a conversation, God, what do, we, what do you want me to do with your stuff right so there's five tests that you can take to say and we're score yourself how good are you doing in the journey of stewardship that's going to tell you a lot about how you're doing with generosity all right come on we're on time number four number four spiritual language pastor jamie come on bring in the word bring in the word i like this one sarah goss is photobombing here you see her right there Right there, there she is. Is she in here? Is she, is she in here somewhere? I don't know, I don't know. The wonderful ability to express ourselves to God in times of prayer and worship unencumbered by earthly language and human intellect. Let me read that again. The wonderful ability to express ourselves to God in times of prayer and worship unencumbered by earthly language and human intellect. Spiritual language, it just gets a bad rap, right? 
A lot of it because of bad teaching, because of bad expressions, because of weird churches, right, that are doing things that, the way that they should not be doing. The spiritual language has kind of been categorized as this mystical, it's, it's, this, it's this oddity. It's, it's, can I just tell you that spiritual language is one of the most practical things that God created and put into this world? Right? And so we're going to teach on it. We're going to talk about it. And it might be that you've never been exposed to teaching. Or maybe you've been exposed to teaching that's going to be different than what we're teaching. We hope that you still come to experience what we believe that the Bible says. There's a great book by Jack Hafer called The Beauty of Spiritual Language. I'm going to reference that. But, but in this life, there are times where you're going to be at a loss for words. Right? There's going to be times where your, your place of jubilation is so high that, that, that earthly language and human intellect just can't catch up. It could be that it's times when despair is, is so low and earthly language and human intellect is just incapable. And we've all said, right, I'm just, I, I'm at a, I don't have the words to express it. God has given the world a gift. If you're a devoted follower of Christ, there's an experience called the baptism of the Holy Spirit that we're going to dig into in Acts chapter 2. That, that there is a gift that he wants to give to you, I believe, to every person who's a devoted follower of Christ. So in times of worship and prayer, you never have to say, I couldn't find the words to say. That he wants to give you a gift that enables you to communicate and express yourself to him in a way that's beautiful, in a way that's lovely. Not weird and odd and eccentric, right? It's this great gift. Every gift that God has to give, I want to have a heart that says, God, I want everything that comes from your hand. We're going to talk about the four different baptisms. We're not going to teach on all of those, but I'm going to introduce them to you because I think a lot of times there's a lot of confusion about the baptism of the Holy Spirit because there's, people forget that there's four specific distinct baptisms that the Bible teaches us. So I'm going to give you the reference for those. Again, we're not going to, for the sake of time in the sermon, when we get to that, we're not going to dig through all of those, but maybe it'll set you on your own course of study. But the Bible talks about a baptism of water, a baptism of suffering, a baptism of the church, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. To be baptized in the Greek is baptism. Tizo, which means to be made fully wet. And sometimes by understanding the first three, it helps us to understand the last one. Does that make sense? All right. So we're going to work through the majority of that sermon we're going to talk about over the last 15 years in pastoral ministry for me, that there's about five of the most common questions that people have when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit and spiritual language. And so we're going to be based out of Acts chapter 2. It's going to be a great night that we have together. Let me just back up too. Can we just say John Dean and Nora, are they rocking the double stroller here or what? So it's got the duck-billed cap there with the tie and the skinny jeans and the shirt. I know. Go, John Dean. And that's Clem's son. Go figure, right? Where's Clem? All right. Unity. Unity. There's no better picture for unity than the great chili cook-off. Are you with me, right? Come on. I know. Which my wife won last year, just saying. All right. Okay. All right. All right. Points. I know. See? Yeah. That's a points-based system. Unity. I, this is where we're going to come into the home stretch here. This, this is a cultural distinctive for us as a church. This is important for us as a church. This is something in a church that we strive to protect and to keep safe as a church family. This is a definition I feel like God gave to me for unity years ago. We're going to teach out of this when we get to this sermon. I, I think I'm going to launch the, 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 the series next week with this one on unity. It's when absolute commonalities transcend relative dissimilarities. Are you a unifier or are you a divider? Now, now, when people start talking about relativism in the church, it makes them nervous. But it makes them nervous for a lack of understanding of God's word. 
Relativism is supposed to be a word that is squarely a part of every church. Relativism is supposed to be a, a word that's an important part of every journey that every church goes on together because there's lots of things that you're passionate about that maybe you read this and you, it speaks to you about something and maybe somebody else it speaks to them something in a different way. And there's got to be a willingness for every church to say to one another, I, that's not maybe what I believe, but I can see why you believe that, right? And you're not asking that person to feel wrong. You're not asked, you're not trying to convince that person to walk the same road that you're walking down when it comes to certain issues in Scripture, but you're willing to walk together in unity in spite of the diversity of your interpretation of those particular texts. Now, are there things that are absolutes? You better believe they are. And do we talk and teach about absolutes? You better believe that we do. But this is the principle that guides us as a congregation. If we as a church elevate matters of relativism to a place of absolutism, we end up in the world of legalism. And if we as a church demote matters of absolutism to a place of relativism, we end up in a world of permissiveness. But if we rightly discern between the two, we experience awe-inspiring unity. The world should be looking at the church today and saying, how is it with so much diversity do you still have so much unity? And when you read in the book of Acts, which is the the story of the birth of the church written to us by Luke under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He gave us the gospel of Luke and then he follows his up with a continuation in the book of Acts. When you get to the second chapter in verse 1 and verse 44, he's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he uses the word together. Now together in the Greek has a dual meaning. It has a dual meaning. Sometimes it means geographical togetherness and then sometimes it means to be together as in one heart. And based on the context of its use, you understand what's being communicated. I don't think it's any accident that right here in this great chapter in the Bible that it kind of opens and ends with this word. In the beginning it talks about a geography that they share, but at the end it talks about a unity of heart that they have discovered together. And as you're reading through the book of Acts, it says continually that they awed the world. Can we just dream and believe together as a church that we're going to awe the world still together today? And one of the ways that we're supposed to awe the world together today is through the, the journey of unity in the midst of our diversity that we walk through together. We unashamedly and proudly declare that we as a church, we are a beautiful blend of beliefs. Unity found in retreat from community is in actuality loneliness suffered in the embrace of pomposity. That phrase makes some people nervous, Right? I'm telling you, if we took a survey right now in this room, you would have a whole bunch of people that believed lots of different things about divorce and remarriage. If you took a survey in this room, you would find a, a whole lot of people that believe lots of different things about free will and predetermination. If you took a survey in this room, you'd, you'd have a lot of different beliefs about what's supposed to happen in the end. Is there a literal millennial reign of Christ? How do we interpret the book of Revelation, right? If we took a survey in this room right now, you'd find a lot, all kinds of different views and ideas. What in the world is Roman 9's about? Because it scares me. He hated Esau but loved Jacob? What if he hates me? You, you with me? There's all different kinds of conversations about Scripture. And guess what? Until we get to heaven, some of those conversations, we're just not going to know for sure who got it right. And so under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul sits down hundreds of years, thousands of years ago, and he writes the first letter to the church of Corinth. And he gets to this part in the letter. There weren't any chapters. It's just a letter. But for us, it's chapter 13. And this is what he says. If I could speak in all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong 
or a clanging cymbal. And if I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. This isn't hyperbole here, people. This is truth being laid out. One of the greatest Christians to ever walk on the face of this earth. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will one day become useless, but love will last forever. Now, listen to what he says here. This is, this is an important insight in understanding this text, the, the, the great love chapter, right? I, the Apostle Paul's telling us right here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that the greatest impediment to love in this world is arrogance. It's not anger. Now, our knowledge, it's interesting the turn he takes. Now, our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. See, he doesn't go onto a conversation about hate. He doesn't go onto a conversation about meanness. He goes into a conversation to remind us that none of us have the freedom to say we have all the answers. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. Listen to what he says. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Listen to what he says. Now we see imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul, who God chose to give us the vast majority of the New Testament, as learned as he was, as prophetic as he was, as the miracles that he performed, even him saying of himself, hey, I don't know as much as maybe sometimes I think that I do. All that I know is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely just as God now knows me. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back. This is an important concept for us because as a church, in order to stay unified, in order for a church to, to, to be with each other, my, my friend Warren Matthews over there has this great phrase that I love. He says, Fred, when, when you're right, I'm with you, and when you're wrong, I'm for you. It's good, isn't it? but never against. You, you've got to learn to live your life that way. And for some of you, that's hard. Because some of you, you've forgotten the truth of this. It's interesting, isn't it, that some of the people that create the most division in the church, they stand on their soapbox of having this great revelation of the truth that everybody's supposed to rally to. And what they forget is that on the soapbox they're standing is in direct contradiction to 1 Corinthians 13. It's partial, people. The things that I'm passionate about, the things that I teach from this pulpit, at the end of the day, it's all partial. We're not ever fully free from our humanity. There's got to be a grace that we extend to one another. There's got to be a willingness to say, I don't need you to be wrong in order for me to feel right. There's got to be a willingness for me to say, yeah, this is what I believe. This is where I get to with these texts. But you know what? I can understand how you get to where you get to. I don't share in that, but I see how you got there. 
That's part of the beauty of the unity. And I, can I just say, the church, we have done a horrible job. Collectively, the church, universal. It's one of the reasons why the world doesn't want to come and be a part of us because we're just always arguing with each other. We've got to rediscover our ability to stand unified so we can once again awe the world, not for us, but for the sake of the message of the cross. Stand with me as we worship. Father, as we step into this place of worship together tonight, we just give you this next series that we're going to be going on together, this idea of next. We thank you, God, for the old treasures you've given us. Father, we thank you for every church that's in this region that believes different from us, that looks different from us, that their old treasures are different from us, but we celebrate them. We celebrate their passion. We celebrate their calling. We celebrate, God, their conviction. And may it be that in this region that our church can be a part of a new movement that finds a sense of celebrating the diversity of the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' name, come on and everybody sit together. Let's worship.